Here's what's coming up on this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. You know, I, I think in general, I just like people. I enjoy people. I think sometimes when you're a coach, even as a head coach or, or assistant coach, assistant coach at Oregon State, right? We had bad days. It wasn't always fun to go down to Flaptail and get a burger and a beer if we got our butts kicked the weekend before. But, you know, I still went and I still I still like seeing people. Hey, there's a little teaser of what you'll get in this episode of the Beaver Tales podcast. Before we get to the entirety of this episode, I want to mention a nonprofit that I give some free exposure to on this podcast, and that is Kingdom Home, run by a former Oregon State student athlete, now a pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, that's Matt Boyd. He and his wife, Ashley, helped run this organization in Uganda, helping kids escape the trafficking industry. They provide a home and education and a safe place to live. There's not really much better place for your money to go if you're looking for any place to donate or benefit at this time. To learn more, you can go to their website, kingdomhome.org, and I'll put a link in the description. All right, now on to the episode. This is the Beaver Tales Podcast with Josh Ward, who has covered Oregon State Athletics since 2013. Well, I've got a big interview for you today. One of my favorite episodes so far on the Beaver Tales Podcast. The head coach at San Jose State University, Brent Brennan, is my guest today on the podcast. Hi again, everybody. I'm Josh Ward, and I host the Beaver Tales Podcast to give you a look at Oregon State athletes and coaches, what they did while they, they were at OSU, what they learned in their time in Corvallis, and what they've done ever since then, how they've changed as people and their takes and opinions on anything going on right now. And plenty to talk about with Brent Brennan, who was the wide receivers coach at Oregon State, what you may be most familiar with him as, but now the head coach at San Jose State. Brent Brennan was an assistant coach at Hawaii, Washington, Arizona, Cal Poly, San Jose State, and then spent six years at Oregon State as the wide receivers coach. So that's 2011 through 2016 is his tenure at OSU. So his last game at OSU was the only time Oregon State has beaten Oregon in the last 13 years. It was not long after that game, Brent Brennan was offered a contract with San Jose State as their head coach, a homecoming of sorts for the native of San Jose. So since Coach Brennan spent almost two decades as an assistant coach at these various schools, one thing I touched on at the beginning is the different role a head coach plays in the setting the tone for what a program is about, determining the message he's sending to his players during everything going on in 2020. Are there going to be football games? How do we practice safely or prepare for a season in the fall if there even will be one? What's our response to the Black Lives Matter movement and racial protests? Questions like those are the ones he and his players have to ask. And so we start the conversation about that and then move on to some other coaching topics, memories at Oregon State, his relationship with Gary Anderson and Marcus McMarion, both of whom went on to the Mountain West Conference after leaving Oregon State, just like Brent Brennan did. So while Coach Brennan is at San Jose State, Gary Anderson is now the head coach at Utah State, uh, formerly, of course, Oregon State's football coach through the 2017 season. So Brent Brennan left right before the final year where Gary Anderson spent that half season. And uh, that was the year Brent Brennan left and started to coach at San Jose State. And Marcus McMarion, who played quarterback at OSU, left at the same time as Brent Brennan. He transferred to Fresno State, also in the Mountain West, and in fact, the rival with San Jose State. And he spent two years there, two pretty successful seasons before graduating. As for Brent Brennan, he spent three seasons now at San Jose State, won two games his first year, just won the second year, but a great improvement this past season, getting five wins, just like Oregon State, nearly getting to a bowl game, really turning things around. 
And you can tell the administrators and the program really is excited about what Brent Brennan is doing there in San Jose because they gave him a three-year contract extension after this most recent season. And so they really see Brent Brennan as their longtime guy and want to keep him right there as they expect and hope to make bowl games in the near future. Of course, we don't know when this next season will be, and we do talk about that a bit. No breaking news, and he doesn't know, nor does anybody, when we will be playing football. But we touch on kind of the related topics, even though we don't know all the answers. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brent Brennan. It's always fun to hear people who have moved on to other schools but still have fond memories of Oregon State and are willing to come on a podcast like the Beaver Tales podcast. Brent Brennan, in fact, was the first person I ever interviewed back in 2013 when I started covering Oregon State football as a beat reporter for the Barometer newspaper, and he was the very first person I ever talked to. The first player was Brandon Cooks, one of his star receivers and a guy who won the Bolitnikoff Award under the coaching of Brent Brennan. So he definitely had some talented players, Brandon Cooks foremost among them, and some really fun years he spent at Oregon State, not to mention some success already at San Jose State. Here is Brent Brennan, my latest guest on the Beaver Tales podcast. It's awesome to, to see your face again down in sunny uh, California. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Brent. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to being here. So you've been the head coach for about three years now, three seasons, about three and a half years calendar-wise down in San Jose. And it's a crazy time to be a head coach uh, for a lot of reasons. But what's been your message to your players, the priorities you're stressing, you know, just kind of jumping right into the main stuff that you're working with, the, the lessons you want them to be learning at this time? I mean, just, just yeah, what, what are kind of you hoping that your players get out of, of this state in 2020? Well, I think um, it's really been it's really been an incredible time to learn because it's been so challenging on so many fronts. And uh, you know, when you think about kind of the onset of COVID and, and what that was for every every person in the world, um, you know, let alone a college student athlete who went from you know living the good life of being in college and playing football and spring practice and you know, all that looking forward to summer and the, their fall season to all those things becoming really up in the air, um, worrying about their own health and their own safety and, and, and their own, their family. And if they got grandparents, so it's just, there's been so much conversation about that um, with our players, both one-on-one uh, -on -one, FaceTime, a lot of zoom uh, phone calls. Um, you know, so that that's been one part of the last, you know, five months or whatever it's been. And then obviously the situation with Black Lives Matter and, and how how do you work through that with the team and, and how do you help educate people and how do you know everybody going through the process trying to um, find a way to help us grow and learn and be better than we've been you know when I think back about my life I was a freshman in college at UCLA Rodney King riots 1992 and to look back at that and think nothing's changed that we're not any better is is ridiculous and so um, we, we were been really aggressive with that with our team we have a lot of good uh, or we have had a lot of good conversations going we have a, uh, a volunteer volunteer group on our team that is responsible for um, coming up with some ideas and some action steps that's kind of where we started seven weeks ago or and and 
when all this started and it's been great because you know we have a group that's in charge of voter education voter registration we have social media presence you know all of it surrounding you know kind of social justice and and racial equality so uh, that's something that we that i love talking about it's been really healthy with our team i think it gives us all a chance to to grow and be better um, than we were and, and and gives us all a chance to listen as a white man with the job i have i have an incredible responsibility to help us all be better, and, and especially the young men that I work with every day. The funny thing about becoming a head coach is that when you signed your contract, you know, three and a half years ago, you were signing it to be a head football coach, not technically the leader on conversations about Black Lives Matter with your football players. That, that wasn't the contract, but in a sense, as a football coach, as a leader of men, as a mentor, it does become wrapped into who you are, what you represent, how you help your players become responsible members of society and so how do you feel for example let's say how do you feel your players have responded to the conversations that you've had and, and whatever those have been like how have those gone they've been really positive and they, they've been hard and they've been really honest and so I think that is one thing that gives us a chance to uh, improve is if we're willing to have hard conversations and listen to people um, you know, because everybody's got a story and everybody is, you know, experienced some sort of injustice. And so um, when you have a team like ours, it is and a campus like ours, it is as diverse um, having that conversation with our African-American student athletes, with our African-American coaches and listening to their stories and helping that impact us and helping us learn from what they've experienced. And right when I wake up in the morning and I go for a jog, in my hometown here, I've never worried about getting shot. Like that doesn't, right, that doesn't register for me. And so being um, open and honest enough to have those conversations and hear those stories, and you know, we got two uh, Oregon State, um, you know, players, African-American males coaching on our staff and Eric Williams and, and Kevin Cummings, right? So, um, you know, just having those conversations, hearing their stories is, is incredibly powerful. And I hope it gives, our, gives all of us a chance to, to step back and evaluate, you know, the choices and process or decisions that we've made in our lives and, and where we want to be going forward. Last question kind of on this topic, and this is a little more speculative, so I don't expect you to have any particular answer on this, but whenever football does come back, whether that's in some fashion this fall or the spring or 12 years from now, whatever it is, I don't, I don't know, and you don't know, and that's fine. Do you think that these conversations will make a tangible impact because I realize that to a certain degree, the conversation and, and the protest at some point will, I don't want to say die down and I don't want it to necessarily, but for the players, especially the African-American players, it doesn't become less of a reality for them. However many protests are going on, that's, that's still their life. And so when football does happen again, whenever that may be, and I don't know what that would look like. I mean, there are all sorts of tangible ways. There's, there's, you know, peaceful protests. There's slogans on the field. There's things on the jerseys. And, and not all that is probably up to the conferences and the NCAA. And, you know, those decisions are being made by a variety of people. But in whatever ideas you've had or heard the players suggest, do you think that there may be a tangible difference in what something along the lines of how football is played on Saturday or some additional piece to how players are represented will anything be different in in that sense on Saturdays whenever football comes back well I hope so you know because I because I think by the actions of student athletes across 
America, there will be steps taken to bring more uh, kind of understanding, bring, bring more awareness to this social injustice that's been going on, you know, throughout the history of our country. And, and so I'm, I'm hopeful that there is, you know, there, it is going to be maybe relative to each school or, or each situation. I think everyone's going to be a little bit different. But, you know, the way this thing, um, the way we give ourselves a chance to improve, I think, is by consistency and by not just letting it be this one isolated moment in time where everybody took extreme action and then it, you know, kind of tails off as time moves on. I, th I think it's the responsibility of us as head coaches. I think it's the responsibility of me as a white man to continue to help this conversation be had and continue to help, um, you know, our players you know, our black players and, and, and really all of our players, because they're all involved and they all care and try and help them move this thing forward so that, you know, the next generation is better than, than this one. Yeah, I appreciate your thoughts on that and just the openness. I can tell you put a lot of thought into it and, and uh, I hope those conversations continue to go well and, and the impact you're having. And that kind of touches on a little bit of just the coaching philosophy I like to talk about with any coaches I get on this podcast in broader terms of how you developed as a coach. I mean, you were an assistant at a various different schools for almost two decades. Now you get your head coaching opportunity in the last three seasons. What's something that, you know, exemplifies how you've grown as a coach, how you've changed as a teacher of football, as a coach, as a person, uh, what's something that, that shows how you've grown and matured just in the last three years? You know, it's interesting. I, I think that's one of the ways that, uh, you know, the college football or, or coaching in general um, doesn't do a great job of preparing you for this chair. There, there's no, there's nothing uh, being an assistant coach, being a coordinator, none of it feels like this. Um, you know, you do a lot more, um, a lot less football than, than, than you do when you're an, an assistant coach. And, and I, I think I was extremely fortunate. Um, I had a great experience working for Gary Anderson and Mike Riley at Oregon state, both of them, are mentors and, and, and great people for me still. Um, I actually get to see Coach Anderson or hear talk to him because we're, we're you know, he's back and he's in the Mountain West Conference now, so I get to have those conversations. Um, and, you know, guys that I met on both staffs are working with our staff here now, right? So Derek Odom is our defense coordinator and Josh Oglesby is our uh, offensive line coach. And, and so we, there's a lot of carryover from our time at Oregon State. And we loved our experience there. It was an awesome place. And I love watching what they're doing. I watched Jonathan last year, and, and I think Jonathan would tell you the same thing. There's, no, there's nothing that gets you ready for the experience of this because really you go from managing, even if you're a coordinator, you're, you're, you're managing you know, 40 guys to managing not just the team, 110 guys, but then you also are heavily involved in the strength staff and the training staff and the academic support. And so all of a sudden you're having these conversations with all these people um, and, and it's a, just a much different job than being a football coach. I love it. I love where we're at. I love what we're doing at San Jose State. I think we're heading in the right direction. Um, you know, but every day, every day is a different day as a head coach. Every day is a challenge. Um, every day someone is knocking on your door, although not right now because COVID, but <laughs> uh, your phone's ringing or you're, um, you know, you're, you're in the process of addressing one issue and working on another. And it's just like you're, or you're raising money or you're, um, you know, you're making sure kids getting the right support academically, or you're making sure someone has an issue with mental health. So he's going, you know, there's just, there's just every day there is a, just an incredible 
you know, the scope of, of challenges and issues that come across your desk is way different than being an assistant. Yeah, you do have a good thing going at San Jose State, improved from one win to five wins this past year, kind of pretty similar to what Oregon State, and mostly I'll, I'll ask about more questions about San Jose State, but just to, to go to, to ask about Oregon State and what you've seen Jonathan Smith do, you both finished with the same record. It was kind of fun to see you both inching closer to a bowl and perhaps on a trajectory towards getting to a bowl game whenever next season would be. So as you look at Oregon State, a program doing kind of the same thing you are, is it kind of fun to, to have that in common with Jonathan Smith, to have, be in a similar spot, or maybe that's too simplified to say, but what do you see about what Jonathan Smith is doing and, and how close he is with the Beavers? You know, it's funny. I think anyone that's ever worked at Oregon State just feels something about that place. I, you know, I remember when I first got hired there, I bumped into Jim Mahalchek at, at Costco in California. So I was at San Jose State. I just took a job, and I bumped into him and his wife in Costco and I was with my wife because my family was still living down there. I like literally just took the job and he was like, you're going to love it there. It's a great place. Like, and, and he'd been gone for a long time. And it was just really interesting that, um, you know, and I've had conversations with so many people like that. I think so naturally, you know, Ryan Gunderson's on our staff, right? So it's a, if we have a night game, we'll see, you know, we'll be talking to the staff and I'm like, Hey, how'd the bees do today? If I didn't see it or, whatever. So um, everyone's always looking after, after the bees. And, and I think it's been fun to see them. Um, you know, I'm still really close with Trent Bray and I've known Kofense for a long time. And, and I really think Jonathan's put together a good staff there. And I think any part of building a su successful, sustainable program takes time, you know, and I think that's the one thing that's hard in college football. Everybody wants it to happen right now. And they want, we hire a new coach and we go out and win 12 games and go to the Rose Bowl. And there's normally a little bit more of a process of getting good at this game because there's so many different people that play it. There's, there's so many different pieces on, on the field. It's not, you know, you, you know, some of those comparisons in basketball or other sports are different because one player can dominate the game so much. It just doesn't work that way in football. And it takes time to build a foundation and for that foundation to grow and mature so that then you can attack the people that are established in your conference. Like for us, whoever, the Boise States or – San Diego State or, you know, the, the, those teams, right? You brought up the story of, of seeing Coach Mahalchek. And one of, the, one of the funny things that came up on a previous episode of this podcast, actually, this came up completely unprompted. I didn't even bring up your name, but the guest I had on started talking about you. He's like, oh, do you remember the old wide receiver? Not old wide receiver. The former wide receivers coach for Oregon old, State. Man. I'm old. <laughs> You're not even 50 yet. You're not old. Uh, but he was like, you remember Brent Brennan? And uh, he started talking about you. And he said, this is almost a direct quote, if you go anywhere in this country, I guarantee you'll run into somebody who knows Brent Brennan and has talked to him at some point. He's so good at networking, making bonds with people, maintaining those bonds. He just knows everybody. By the way, that was Lyle Moiva, who I was talking with, was the one who said that. Uh, I'm curious if you have that same perception of yourself, like if you would describe yourself that way, and if so, where that started, how you got to be that type of person. That's a fun question. That's a cool thing for Lyle to say. Um, you know, I, I think in general, I just like people, you know, so I, I enjoy people. I think sometimes when you're a coach, even as a head coach or, or assistant coach, assistant coach at Oregon State, right? We had bad days. It wasn't always fun to go down to Flaptail and get a burger and a beer if we got our bus kicked the weekend before. But, you know, I still went and I still I still like seeing people. And so I think, you know, in the, co in the coaching profession, 
we talk about that a lot as our staff. Every job I've ever gotten is because of, of someone that I knew. And I think um, that relationship, and, and I, I think like life is about relationships, at least it is for me. And I think that's what made me successful as a position coach. And I'm hoping that's what's going to make us successful here with San Jose State is just caring about the young men that we coach, caring about our coaching staff, doing everything we can to help them grow and mature and develop into great men and great leaders. And, and that's the process that's always ongoing. But I think that's all about the relationship you build with the players or your coaches. And if, it, and if you've done a good job of that, if there's trust there, then you can coach the heck out of them and they're going to play and they're going to, and it's, you know, just the, the, that relationship piece is so important to me. And I love Lyle Moivau. He's one of my favorite guys of all time. He's such a good young coach. He's going to do, he's going to do some really big stuff in the next couple of years. I'm excited to watch his career go. Yeah. One of my favorites for sure too. Uh, it was this past December on that same note of, you know, what he talked about and, and your ability to make those connections. This December, I was driving through California and I stopped in San Jose, at San Jose State and I watched a basketball game. They're hosting Stanford for a non-conference game. And I remember just kind of, you know, looking through the crowd and I saw you walk in. I was like, oh, there, you know, Brent Brent has been the coach for a couple of years. And I remember seeing you go through the crowd and you couldn't go 20 feet without someone shaking your hand, waving at you, stopping you and saying hi. And so I, I could see that playing out in front of my eyes right there at San Jose State. And I'm curious, has there ever been a moment where, not, not just in that specific instance or the tendency to people to say hi, but just the nature of maintaining bonds, uh, you know, having a wide network of people who know you, who like you, who, who would remember you, has that ever paid off for you where, where something happens that results in your benefit because of some connection you made and you have a wider base of people? I mean, has there ever been a moment where like, man, I'm really glad because five years later, this happened? Oh, I'm sure there's lots of examples of that. I mean, even getting hired at Oregon State, you know, Mike Riley, uh, Danny Langsdorf and I, in 1994, Danny Langsdorf and I coached football camp at University of Colorado, okay? I was, a, I think I was a junior in high school. He was maybe just graduating. I always like to say he's older than me. I'm not sure he really is, but, uh, and we are roommates. And that started a friendship that continued for another you know, 20 years, almost, I think they I got hired in 11. So, you know, what is that 16, 17 years of Danny and I being close and our wives and, um, and then he introduced me to coach Riley and I went up and worked summer camp there. And, and then I talked receiver play with uh, Jay Losey and I just, you know, so, I mean, that's really a simple example as it relates back to Oregon state. But, um, you know, I think, I've made plenty of mistakes in my time and, and I think everyone has. And, and, but I, I do think that I try to do right by people and I truly care about people. And when I do screw it up, I, I say, Hey, I'm wrong. I like, I, I, I can do that. And I've done that a lot in my first three years as a head coach. I, I've told people point blank, like, dude, I, I screwed that up. Like I didn't, I'm sorry, you know, and I apologize. Let's, let's move on or tell me how to fix it or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, that's one example where that, those relationships, um, you know, ended up giving me incredible opportunity to be there in Corvallis and my family lived there and loved it. So it's pretty cool. I feel like if you're a head coach, you have to be good at apologizing because you can't be in a position of power without making some mistakes. And then it's harder to apologize because you want to be perfect in that position. But it's you got to learn that one way or the other, the hard way, probably. Yeah, uh, no, I think and I think it's better if you admit you're wrong. You know, like we've all been around bosses or head coaches or whatever um, that would never admit they're wrong. And you're like, this guy's full of it. 
you know, like everyone knows he's wrong. And, and so I, I just, you know, I'd rather, you know, address it, accept it and then move on and, mm-hmm. and see if we can't find a better way to throw the ball down the field or whatever it is. The fun thing with you going to the Mountain West is that there's at least a couple connections I can think of, and I may be forgetting some others, but the two that come to mind, you mentioned Gary Anderson, uh, Marcus McMarion transferred from Oregon State, went to Fresno State, and you got to play against him being the quarterback. Uh, you beat Fresno State this past year. He got the better of you the first couple. So, you know, there's that rivalry back and forth. Um, I'll ask about both of them. Let's start with Marcus. What was that like to see him slinging the ball around in a different uniform than the, the orange and black, but against you? It was brutal. It was brutal. We tried to get him here, and we couldn't because the NCAA created a new dead period. So he's from Dinuba, right, right outside of Fresno. And his girlfriend was, I think, in nursing school there. So we knew it was going to be uphill. And he was, he couldn't even come see me because the NCA implemented a dead period in August. So as soon as that happened, I was like, this is going to be really hard. Uh, and, you know, I watched him play great football against us. Um, just what a, I really, really like Marcus. Outstanding young man. He was a great leader and a great player, great player for them and played really good football. So it was good to see him have the success he had. And, um, you know, I didn't love it necessarily against us, but I was still happy for him. I, I knew that answer would be bittersweet because it's yeah. against you. But, I mean, Marcus is a great guy. I know him not super well, but he was always real nice when talking to me. So I, I'm sure bittersweet. And I oh, hope the best for him. Yeah. yeah. How about Gary? I mean, to coaching, he goes to Utah State. Do you talk much about Oregon State or just the relationship? Uh, what's that like to, to maintain that closeness with Gary? Gary's been great. Um, you know, I, I think it, most head coaches have people that they reach out to and they communicate with about, you know, what's going on in the job. Like you need that actually, because you have to ask somebody that's done it before. You can't ask a person that hasn't done it before. Um, so Gary has been helpful. Coach Riley's been helpful. Um, Dick Tomey before he passed away was incredibly helpful. Uh, so there's definitely people, Dino Babers, who's at Syracuse. So we all, all head coaches have, you know, five, 10 guys they call and like, Hey, I'm going through this. Do you have any advice or whatever? But um, Gary's been a great guy for me that way. Um, and so I'm always appreciative of that. You know, he allowed me to stay on that staff and continue to coach at Oregon state and continue to live in Corvallis. I didn't have to move my family. Um, that was really, really big for me at that time in my life to not have to move my wife and kids again. And so I'm always grateful for that. And, and, I really enjoyed our time together. I learned a lot from coach Anderson. And so now when I talk to him, it's, it's really the same, you know, he's always really straightforward, which I like, um, you all, you knew where you stood, which I like. And so I can ask him a question and he'll be like, uh, you know, that's ridiculous. Or, <laughs> or he'll say, that's a good idea. You know, Oh, I haven't thought of it that way. So um, we have great back and forth. Um, just talking about managing a team, you know, sometimes it's COVID, sometimes it's protocol, sometimes it's, game day what are you doing with your team travel so it's important having people out there like him and there's lots of them that I talk to but I I really value that those conversations I can tell that you still have a a lot of hope and expectation for him look look up to him and learn a lot from him and I'm, I'm both curious about who might do that to you where if you've got those guys whether it's Dino Babers or Mike Riley then who does that to you so I'll ask about that but one more 
question with Gary real quick is, I mean, for however much hope and, and expectation at Utah State, what was the experience like in 2017 where you left in 2016 and you still, I'm sure, you know, kept tabs in Oregon State while you're focused at San Jose State. But what were your thoughts watching some Oregon State games in 2017? You know, it was, uh, it, was, it was hard because they were going through a tough year and I cared a lot about the players on that team and I cared a lot about the coaching staff. And so, you know, we all know what college football is and the, and the way that goes and you could see where it was going and they made the decision to make that change pretty early, I felt like, in that year. And so just watching those guys go through that, still being really close with a handful of guys on that staff. Um, two of them are working with us now at San Jose State. You know, it worked out great for me. You know, I, I was able to get Kevin McGiven here and, you know, last year we were third in the country throwing the football. And, uh, you know, and then, then in the year transition, we were also able to hire uh, Josh Oglesby. So, um, you know, that, that was really good. And so, um, you know, I think there's lots of ways that football works out. You know, sometimes you see a, a head coach or an assistant coach go into a situation. It's not a good fit. And then you see them go somewhere else and just totally kick ass. And so it's just, you know, sometimes it's a good fit. Sometimes it's not. Uh, sometimes it's in between. And so watching those guys go through that was, was really, really hard. You mentioned like, you know, the names of Gary, Mike, Dino Babers, Dick Tomey. Have people put you on that list where they're, you know, young in their coaching career and they say, yeah, when I need something, I go to Brent Brennan. I text him and I ask him, has that become your role to be that guy for others also? I don't even like to think that way because that makes me feel old. But, um, <laughs> you know, no, I, th I think more than anything, I just I, I try and just be real honest and accessible to other coaches, assistant coaches, whatever um, guys that are interested in um, what we're doing here or, or kind of what the, you know, the process that my process was. You know, a guy who's younger than me but is an outstanding football coach is the head coach at UNLV, Marcus Arroyo. He was the OC at Oregon. And we worked together at San Jose State 15 years ago. And I was in his wedding and we're, you know, we're really close. And I, so I still talk to Marcus a lot about all of it. I talked to him a lot while he was going through this last season at, at Oregon and um, his process with UNLV. So that's a guy, but that's, that's more friend peer to peer. I mean, that's how most of those conversations are. Like no one's out calling me up saying, Hey, what do you think I should do about my COVID return to campus protocol? You know? Uh, but I definitely, in any way that I, I think, I have benefited so greatly from people being generous with their time and their expertise with me growing up as a coach and, and, you know, I'm doing this for however long I've been doing it. So I, I'm always grateful and willing to do that whenever I can. I, I love that. I enjoy it. And, and I think it's the right way to be. I, that's a cool thing about coaching, right? We're, it's not like we have some proprietary software that we're not sharing with anybody. It's our secret, right? Like it's football and, you know, everyone's pretty smart and everyone can figure it out if they watch enough tape and pay, pay attention. So I enjoy the sharing part of it. I enjoy the, the conversations with other coaches and, and I'm, cause I'm so grateful for all the great ones that did that for me. It really does seem like a fraternity, no matter what conference you're in, even if you're rivals, even if you used to coach against them or with them, it seems pretty close. How many, if you look through your contacts, just, just to put a, an underscore and how close the coaches are if you look through your phone contacts how many coaches do you think you have in there if you can even estimate that uh what would you say of how many connections you made and, and that sort uh, of thing i mean if you're not including like recruiting but just like college or nfl coaches it's yeah. you know probably in thousands but you know but it's um i i think that part of it is funny because 
you know, if someone got my phone, they could dial some real people. Like they, yeah. they could have a fun night. They could crank call some, some serious ball coaches <laughs> throughout the night. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I think that's the great part about this business is, for example, during COVID, I called Kyle Shanahan and he came on and spoke to my team. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And he went back and researched our program. He went back 15 years, maybe 20 years. And he talked about the, the process and what has happened at San Jose State over time. And he looked, at our, he looked at our schedule last year and the scores. And he broke that down for our team. He was amazing. And so, you know, to be able to do that and try and um, give, your, give your players some, some new perspective or give them some new excitement. We had John Gruden spoke to the team. He was amazing, like just as you would imagine him. So, I, I, you know, I think anytime anyone could, can add value to that or add value to your team or, you know, Nick Rolovich is a really good friend of mine. He just got hired at Washington State. We talk every other week about what's going on with football or families or just trying to get better. I mean, I think there's not a football coach in America that doesn't spend a lot of his day trying to be a better, better football coach. So I, I love that part of it, sharing and those conversations. I'm guessing of all people, all professions, you of all people definitely would not be the person to say, ah, I don't need a passcode on my phone. Ah, it's, it's fine. I got nothing to hide. I'm, sh- I'm sure you've got one on there. I needed to keep my kids off of it. <laughs> They'll be texting Kyle Shanahan yeah. for some reason. That's, thinking right. It's, yeah. That's right. Hey, you should have, you know, you should have kicked the field goal. Yeah. Gone for it on fourth down, right? Hope you like getting to know Brent and Brennan a little bit more and see his path since leaving Oregon State. We're nearly done with the conversation. We actually chatted for a while longer, specifically about his last game ever at Oregon State. That was the 2016 season finale when Oregon State defeated Oregon, the first win over the Ducks since 2007, and to this day, the only victory over the Ducks in the last 13 years. That was the last game Brent and Brennan coached in Research Stadium. Now, we chatted for a while about this game. I'm going to save most of that for a separate project, but I'll include one answer where we talked about the Oregon State offense that day with offensive coordinator Kevin McGiven and his young quarterback Marcus McMarion, Ryan Nall running roughshod over the Ducks. There's one fun little part that I can't help but include even in this podcast. So here's one last portion with Brent and Brennan. It was such a weird game offensively because there's the rain there's Marcus developing as a quarterback but being still pretty young Ryan Nall runs the ball I think 23 straight times so what conversations do you remember like on the sidelines in between possessions going (laughs) on someone's told you this someone's told you this no no me and McGiven are on the headset going back and forth about you know we're late in the drive and we're running the ball really well and it was like you know and he's like I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna throw it you know and quick pass here or play action you know and I'm like no run it and he's like dude I've run it 16 in a row or something I'm like run it and I and I didn't say it in those words it was probably a little more we we still laugh about it because we work together every day now and and now Josh Oglesby's there and we joke about it every day and it was something you know run the effing ball like we need to run it and Ryan Nall was you know that fourth quarter he was unstoppable and he was such a he was such a neat kid and it was so awesome to see him have that moment right from Portland right like that whole thing chose Oregon State and had had you know a couple tough years and then to play the the way he did in that game what an awesome moment for Ryan and McGiven kept calling it you know he kept calling the inside zone and just kept running it so it was pretty fun. I swear I had not heard that story before but that's exactly the kind of story that I was looking for that's crazy. 
And I stand by that. I had not heard that story. I could tell from his perspective, maybe it felt like I was kind of leading him to a story I already knew of, oh, what conversations were you having? But I really was just looking for, yeah, was there a funny discussion you had on the headset? I figure during the whole game, you're going to have some interesting things going on between an assistant coach on the sideline and a coordinator up in the booth. And I bet there's tons of stories that have never been told on a microphone and that's what I was hoping he'd have some funny memory something that stuck in his mind and boy did he ever it's so much that he figured I'd heard it from someone else I hadn't but I'm glad he shared that and really fun to catch up with Brent Brennan hope you enjoyed that as well a lot of more fun conversations coming up on the Beaver Tales podcast whether you like the football guests or any sport it is I try to spread it around through all the different sports sponsored at Oregon State Check out the link in the description both for the featured charity of each episode, not to mention the Beaver Tales documentaries. If you enter that email list, you can give me personal feedback on these episodes, suggestions for future guests, any thoughts you may have. Just put your email down on that list, and then you'll have access to give me feedback and let me know your thoughts about the Beaver Tales podcast. Until the next episode when we may meet again, good night, everybody, and go Beavs! <laughs>